Well, good morning. Huh? That was pitiful. Good morning. There we go. Well, I'm Pastor Michael, and I, I just got to tell you, I when this moment gets, to, when we get to this place and the service, this moment arrives, I find myself overjoyed. I find myself sensing the privilege that is mine amongst other pastors in this church to stand here in this pulpit and to preach and to teach the Word of God. There is no greater joy that a pastor can have than to teach the Word of God to the people of God. So I hope you've come this morning. I hope you didn't come with a butter knife. I hope you came with a steak knife. I sat down at a meal this week at, at seminary, a luncheon, and there was a steak knife at the, at the setting, and I thought, this is hopeful. Something good is about to arrive at the table. Indeed it was. I hope you brought your steak knife this morning. The Lord is so kind and favorable to give us his word that it might shape and form us as his sheep and his followers. Well, as we begin this morning, let me ask you a question. How many times this week have you begun a sentence with, I am? You might have ended it with, I am incredibly excited, or perhaps I am totally frustrated. Maybe it was more like, I'm exhausted. I am way too old for this. Or, no thank you, I have done away with eating sugars. Those chocolate cake, oh, I think I said that too many times this week. It might be that you've used both of these phrases this week. I, I am more intelligent than that. <laughs> I am totally clueless about that. Better yet, I'm madly in love with you or I'm blessed to be your dad. Perhaps you have made the statement, I'm a Christian. However you've used that phrase this week, it has revealed much about who you are and about perhaps your current experience in the moment. In the Old Testament, God responds to Moses when he asked, Who should I say sent me? And Yahweh's response is, Tell them that I am has sent you. When God made that statement to Moses, he was making a declaration about his own self-existence, about his preeminence. Indeed, he is the great I am. The Apostle John traces seven I am statements in his gospel that he wrote as a way of attempting to convince the dispersed Jews that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And over the last several weeks, we've been working our way through those statements. We began back in John 6 with Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, reminding us that he is the one who satisfies our deepest longings. In John 8, we heard him say, I am the light of the world, pointing toward the truth that Jesus is the one who rescues us from the darkness of our sin. And in John 10, we heard him say, I am the door of the sheep, making known that Jesus is the only way and the only one who is able to save us to abundant life. Today, we again find ourselves in John chapter 10. You're invited to turn there with me this morning. Here in John 10, we hear Jesus making the declaration, I am the good shepherd. And as we work our way through that this morning, this idea of Christ as the good shepherd, I want you to walk away with three simple ideas. They're printed there in your bulletin as well. Our shepherd, Jesus, has suffered and sacrificed for us. 
as we'll talk about, that's put on display his great love for us. Secondly, I want us to walk away with the reality that our shepherd knows each of us intimately. And finally, our shepherd is the one who delightfully leads us on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We'll begin by reading what John labels a figure of speech. We know that this has been directed toward the religious leaders of his day as a rebuke for their lack of leadership amongst the Israelites. So when you hear Jesus speak in our passage of of a thief or a robber or a hireling, I want you to think bad, really bad, human leaders. Human leaders who failed to do their responsibility amongst God's people. Because what we read this morning is both a rebuke of those leaders and more importantly, a revelation of Jesus Christ as the perfect leader amongst his people, the Good Shepherd. Well, if you found John 10, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We do that here at First Southern as a way of acknowledging that indeed that God is the shepherd king and that his words are the only words to life and we are to submit to their authority in our life. John 10, we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 1 and uh, the words will be on the screen behind me as well. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter through the, the, the enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we pause in this moment. We are delighted to be able to open your word this morning. We're delighted that you led by the Spirit of God, the Apostle John, to record these very words that your son Jesus spoke while on earth. We want to learn from them. We want to better know who Jesus Christ is, that we might better follow him, and we might have ever-increasing confidence in his love and kindness and grace toward us. So, Lord, we just, we just ask you this morning, simply, teach us what it means that Jesus is indeed our good shepherd. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Pharisees to whom Jesus was speaking, they didn't get it. That's what John tells us. They, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to drive home. So in verses 7 through 18, he slows it down a bit and he unpacks this figure of speech. That's what I want us to do as well this morning. So as we do that, I'd like to start with Jesus as our model shepherd. His suffering and sacrifice for his followers, as we find, is what makes him the good or the model shepherd for the human leaders who would lead the church, but for us as his sheep 
to understand how to better follow him. Indeed, Jesus is our shepherd who suffered and sacrificed. Throughout his gospel, John presents Jesus as the suffering righteous shepherd. As a matter of fact, we don't get out of John 1. We've talked about this before. Without seeing Jesus portrayed by John the Baptist as the one who will sacrifice on our behalf. John 1 verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist declared. He said, listen, I'm just here. I'm a prophet. I'm to cry out in the wilderness that one has come. And he says, make straight the pathways. Level out the hills in order that you might see the coming of the one who will atone for your sin, who will make a way of salvation, a way of forgiveness for those of you who do not know Christ and you have no hope of heaven. He says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Behold, he's arrived on the scene. Well, that's how he starts out. That's how John begins his gospel, pointing toward Jesus as the Lamb of God, ultimately slain. In John 10, right in the heart, right in the middle of his gospel account, he brings us this statement by Jesus, I am the good shepherd. And what we find here is that the reason that Jesus is the model, the good shepherd for us, is The reason is this, that he is willing and does lay down his life for his sheep. Five times in these few short verses, we hear Jesus speak of sacrificing himself for the well-being of the flock. Listen to verse 11 and 15 and 17 and 18. As I read them, you'll hear five different times he speaks of this. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what? Lays down his Life for the sheep. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father, this, church, is what makes Jesus the good shepherd. His willingness to sacrifice and to suffer for our well-being. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says that he endured the cross. He endured the suffering that was set before him because of the joy that would come on the other end. And guess what? We're his joy. He endured that death that you and I might have life. So what does it mean for us? Well, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have never trusted Christ's atoning work on the cross and His resurrection from the dead to save you and to forgive you, then hear me. This is what it means for you this morning. It means life. It means life. John 3.16, again, right in the heart of John's Gospel. We know it well. We've seen it on all the signs at the ball games, right? Even those who are in church have often heard, for God so loved. Don't miss that part. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna return right there in a moment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. 
So what does it mean that the good shepherd lay down his life? It means that you have the opportunity for eternal life. Michael, it's that simple? It's that easy? Yeah, that's what Jesus said. To the one who came and inquired, he said, listen, let me make it really, really simple to you. God so loved the world, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. He loved the world that he gave me, his only son, that if you will, what? Believe. Believe. It's that simple. So I call you this morning, if you don't know for sure heaven's in your future, even if you've been in the church for 70 years of your life, Please, I beg you, as long as today is called today, it's the day of your salvation. Do not let this day pass without settling on the truth. Being convinced of the reality that Christ laid down his life for you. And you have believed and received that appropriated in your life. Make today the day of your salvation. Trust and believe in Christ. Let him do that work in your life. Well, if you do know Christ as Savior... Here's what this truth should mean for us. It should remind us of his great love and his great sacrifice for us. We can't, church, listen to me, we can't rehearse that truth enough. The very last night of Jesus' life on earth before his crucifixion, he's with his disciples. You, you know the story. It begins in John 13. It rolls through John 17. He's there at dinner with his disciples. They eat. Judas leaves, showing himself to be the future betrayer. They move to the garden scene. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is teaching them, giving them last words. And right there in the middle of that, in John 15, verse 13, Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this. This is the epitome. This is the height of what it means to love somebody. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Oh, and it's beautiful. He goes on to say, and I call you friend, as he speaks to his disciples. In essence, what he's saying is, listen, I've been telling you, And I've been warning you, matter of fact, there's three cycles of that in the Gospel of John where Jesus pronounces his impending death on the cross. He says, the time's come. And I'm going to show you what real love is. I'm going to sacrifice for you because I love you. That's what drove our Savior. That's what drove the great shepherd of the sheep to lay down his life. And become the Lamb of God that we've sung and celebrated this morning. It's love for us. I've been reading Oswald Sanders' classic, um, excuse me, Oswald Chambers. Mixing two names. Oswald Chambers' classic, my utmost for his highest devotional. It's been around for a hundred and something years. In the last few weeks I've been reading through that and About two weeks ago, I came across an interesting way that he defined faith in that devotional in one of his entries. He defined faith this way. Faith is our confidence in God's holy love. Let that sink in. He defined faith this way. Our confidence in God's holy 
love. And I would say ever-increasing confidence in God's holy love. That word holy means a lot, does it not? Sometimes what we think the shepherd's love toward us would look like is not exactly the way it comes to us. Sometimes we think it ought to look like this. If he really loves me, if God really cares about me, this is what he'll do for me. But it's a holy love. As we'll talk about in a moment, our shepherd knows us better than we know ourselves. Our heart is deceptive. It's beyond knowing, but God knows it. And he knows exactly what we need. And he demonstrates his love toward us. His holy love. Paul writes to the church at Rome, Romans 8. I love it. He says, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation, distress, nakedness, famine, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That, my friends is what his suffering and sacrifice on the cross points toward. His enduring, holy, sacrificial love. And that ought to increase our confidence that we have a good shepherd who is worthy of following at every single turn in our life. Not only is our shepherd one who sacrificed and suffered for us, demonstrating his great love, our shepherd, Jesus Christ, knows each of us intimately. Look in verse 3 again. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Speaking of the shepherd, of the sheep. To the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by what? Name. That's getting pretty personal and pretty intimate, right? And he leads them out. Well, the calling of animals by name seems perfectly normal, right? If they're your pets. Have you ever had a favorite animal, a favorite pet? Any favorite pet owners? We've had a lot of dogs in my family's life. And a few stray cats mixed in. But I remember as a six-year-old, my all-time favorite, don't tell my current dog this, all right? My all-time favorite dog, my favorite pet, my favorite puppy I ever received. My dad gave it to me, my mom agreed, and I brought Smokey home. I got, I got the privilege of feeding my dog, I got the privilege of Think about this. A six-year-old had responsibility to teach the puppy how to use the bathroom outside, how to discipline the dog, how to train the dog. How do you think that went? Swimmingly well. That was the most un, un in a, most disobedient dog I've ever seen in my life. I tried as a six-year-old trainer to get my dog to do everything he was supposed to do. But I got to tell you, as rambunctious and as many times as I had to chase that dog across the yard and down the street and in the neighbor's house and all kinds of places, 
Smokey was my favorite dog. Smokey got his name because of his fur, his hair. It was a smoky white, gray, kind of darkened here and lightened as it went across his back. Still to this day, I can, I just, smoky, right? And so we as pet owners, we love our animals. We name them, we feed them, we do our best to teach them and discipline them and train them. But it seems odd to us that we might name animals that are really commodities, right? So here it's saying that the shepherd named his sheep. He, he would have a name, many of them would have a name for each one of the sheep in their sheepfold. How do you think those sheep got their name? Probably spotty. Probably stripy, right? Probably limp along. Maybe, I don't know, probably not. Maybe some of them were like lamb chop, right? Breakfast, sausage, kebab. Our girls love lamb ribs, and when they were little, they... They, they look, you hold them and you hold the little rib bone, they, they look like lollipops, right? Maybe some of those little lambs were called lollipops. But here's the reality. The shepherd knew each sheep and took the time to name each one of them. And he could call that sheep by name and that sheep would hear the voice of its shepherd and would follow The shepherd knew the sheep's blemishes, their spots, their pains, their brokenness. Does it sound like our chief shepherd? He knows our blemishes, church. Christ, He knows our pains. He knows our brokenness. I'm reminded of the parables of the 99 and the one sheep in the New Testament. Matthew 18 speaks of the straying sheep. The one who has wandered away from the flock. The shepherd leaves in attendance the the 99 and he makes his way to find the one straying sheep. Why? Because he loves that sheep that much. He is doing all that he can to find that straying sheep, to what? Rescue that sheep again and bring them back into the fold. Jesus tells that story because he's fearful of the immature disciples who tend to want to wander away, walk away from the flock, from the community of faith, particularly when things are getting difficult in their lives. And instead of leaning in toward the flock, often the sheep will pull back and wander away. Oh, but isn't it the kindness of our chief shepherd to draw us back in? Often he'll use brothers and sisters in Christ to issue that call. But that's really, it's really pointing toward Christ, the good shepherd who will hold fast and will keep us. And ultimately by his power, we are kept in the flock of God. Amen? That's what the chief shepherd, the good shepherd does. 
Luke 15 is the 99 and 1. It's the, it's the image of the lost sheep that has not yet become a part of the flock. And the shepherd goes and seeks out the lost until he finds him and then brings him in. And it says that the angels in heaven rejoice because this one sinner has repented and been brought and made a part of the flock of God. Do you hear the individual care that the shepherd has for the one? I do. Listen, likely most of us in this room have had moments of straying. Yes? Okay, maybe just it's self-confession. But for sure, every one of us in this room, at one point, we were lost sheep. And the shepherd rescued us and redeemed us in Christ because of his great love for us. I just cannot help but hear the individual care that Christ cares for his each individual sheep of the fold. I'm reminded of the Old Testament passage that really certainly undergirds Jesus' rebuke here, the Pharisees. It's Ezekiel 34. Please read it. It's the background of this. For the first 10 or 11 verses, he rebukes the shepherds of Israel. He says, you are not doing that which you ought to do. He says, I am against these shepherds who have not done well for the people of God. And then the following verses, the next 10 or 12 verses, he says, I am the rescuing shepherd. Here's what I will do. I am stepping in and I am going to rescue my sheep from bad human leaders. Oh, and the end of that chapter points us toward the promise of the coming Good Shepherd Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful image of the shepherd motif. But I want you to hear one verse out of Ezekiel 34 that matters big time for us this morning. Verse 4. The weak, he's, he, remember, he's condemning the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders who should have cared, the prophets, the priests, the kings, who were not caring well. Listen to verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Each of these words, sick, injured, strayed, lost, they're all singular in the Hebrew. Why does that matter? Let me read it that way. The weak you have not strengthened. The one who was sick you have not healed. The one who was injured you have not bound up. The one who strayed you did not bring back. The one who was lost you have not sought. Do you hear the expectation of individual care for every single named and known sheep? Church, listen to me. There is no hiding our brokenness. There is no hiding our spots and our blemishes and our struggle with sin in real life. We might, we might put on the facade, we might walk into this place on Sunday morning for our worship gatherings and we might look all freshened up. But our, our shepherd, he knows the real story. And yet, he cares and loves us in all of the messiness of our lives. Church, is that good news to us? Oh, it is for me. It is for me. I don't have to mask it up for Jesus. 
He already knows the truth. When I am down, when I am exhausted, when I'm emotionally spent, when I'm tired of battling sin, when I've said what I shouldn't said, or when I've failed to say what I should say, He still cares about me. Me, an individual. Back to John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know. There's a sense of intimacy there. I know my own, and my own know me. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Glorious truth. We have a shepherd who knows each of us intimately. Quit hiding. Be honest. Turn toward Him. Let Him take care of you individually. Finally, our shepherd is the one who leads us. Back to verse 2 of John 10. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Oh, church, aren't you glad that we are not left to be our own God in life? I am. I would have messed it up so many times. I would have messed it up this week. I promise you. If I did not have Christ, the chief shepherd as the guide of my life, I would make wrong decisions almost every time it feels. Jesus, the good shepherd, he knows the path for each of our lives. He leads us on that particular pathway. He leads us on a path of righteousness as we talked about this morning from Psalm 23. For his namesake, for his own glory, he wants to use our life to bring glory and honor to him and his Father. Think about the different stages of your life. When you're filled with hopes and dreams and desires. You don't know what the next step exactly looks like. It's those pivotal moments in life. My Thursday and Friday of this past week was really, it was neat. Thursday night, we gathered in this room. Some 350, 400 folks gathered in this room for Kids of the Kingdom graduation. And we got to watch 39, 38, 39, I believe, four and five-year-olds stand on this platform, their little caps on, and and graduate from preschool. Oh, it was a glorious sight to watch that happen. So grateful for those who poured in the life of these children, the teachers among us. But these little four and five-year-olds, I'm not sure they're dreaming about way future, right? Maybe they're thinking about kindergarten and what it holds come August. Friday night, Ginger and I had the privilege of going down to Whitfield Academy, part of Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and being a part of their baccalaureate service. And I had the privilege of sharing from Philippians 1 with a group of 18-year-olds, happened to be 39 graduates from Whitfield Academy. 18-year-olds, hopes and dreams of what the next step in their life would look like. The relationships, the friendships, the careers, the families that would begin to be a part of their future. Friday morning at 10 o'clock, I gathered with some 3,000 other people on the lawn at Southern Seminary, watched 319 masters and doctoral students aging from 23 to 60, 
graduating and walking across and getting a diploma for years of effort and labor. Every one of them with hopes and dreams about what the future holds. And what I was reminded of this week is, whether they're 5, 18, or 60, there's a path that lays ahead of us. And we need a guide. Because left ourselves, we will likely mess it up. But left to following the chief shepherd who loves us and cares about every detail of our lives, surely, surely we'll walk the right pathway. I'm grateful. That's exactly what King David wrote about God as he described God as chief shepherd as we read earlier. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As I read John 10, I'm reminded of God in the Exodus. He went before his people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's this beautiful image of redemption. They were once in slavery, and then they were brought out in freedom, and then they were led by God himself, their shepherd, to the promised land. This is God's nature as our shepherd. He indeed goes before us, and perhaps you are like me. As life has come, and life has gone, as opportunities have come and seem at times to vanish, I need the assurance that Jesus, my good shepherd, is leading me on the paths that he desires me to be on. I need to have ever-increasing confidence that his holy love for me is being worked out in my everyday life. Do you need that confidence? I'm telling you, my friends, turn. Keep your eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith, Christ Jesus. Well, as we consider the implications of this passage, I, I simply want to invite us this week to linger. To linger and deepen our understanding of who Jesus Christ, as our good shepherd, is. He is the one who has suffered for us. He is the one who knows everything about us, yet loves us. He is the one who leads us even when we are resistant. And every bit of that points toward his overwhelming church, his overwhelming love for us. So this week, be challenged to do some easy work. Read this passage once a day for the next seven days. Just rehearse John 10. And I want to invite you to, to, to pray through this passage. Consider Christ as the good shepherd who has suffered for us. John 1 verse 29. John 10 verse 11. 15, 17. Rehearse that he knows you intimately. John 10, verse 3, 14, 27. Rehearse the fact that he is the one who leads us, John 10, 2 through 4, and other spots in John 10. Here's the reality. We will follow the shepherd we know. So let's get to know him more, more intimately this week. Corporately. That's individually. Corporately. Think about this for me. Jesus, the good shepherd, 
He has suffered for this church. Jesus, the good shepherd, he knows this church. This church. This expression of the church. He knows this church better than anyone else. Jesus, the good shepherd, he leads this church. There is only one shepherd in this church. It's the chief shepherd. He is the ultimate shepherd. Christ, the head of the church, and he loves us. He leads us. He knows us intimately. Oh, he's been kind, I think, toward our church to give under shepherds. That's what pastors and ministers are. They're under shepherds. They follow the chief shepherd and as best as they can. They imitate the good shepherd. They sacrifice. They suffer. They love the body well. They do all they can to intimately know the body well, to know each individual sheep, not only by name, but to know something about what is transpiring experientially in their life in the moment and to encourage them along the right pathway. They do all they can to model what it means to be the shepherd by leading them in right paths of Christ's walk. I think that's the kindness of God to his church. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes and he says that, they're, that, that apostles and prophets and evangelists, and then he says pastor teachers are a gift of the Lord to the church body. And so shepherds, under shepherds, are kindness of the Lord. Today, specifically, marks, on a personal basis, three years being the privilege to serve as one of your pastors in this church. Officially today, three years ago, this church body made the crazy decision to invite me to come be among you and my family, and I'm so grateful for that. But it also marks an event in the life of this church Five years ago, May 20th, 2012, this church had a moment in its history that was not pretty. The shepherds during that season made the unfortunate decision to leave this body, to leave the sheep without a shepherd. That's their decision before the Lord. But here's what I want you to hear from all of that. Even though human leaders fail, and they do, right? The chief shepherd never fails. The chief shepherd is faithful to the flock. I want us to know, and I want us to rehearse, five years later to the date, our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, has never given up on this flock. He has led this flock to green pastures. He has led this flock to still waters. He has refreshed the soul of this body. He has restored life to His church called First Southern. And you, you have been faithful sheep. I love telling the story of First Southern. And right at the heart of it, after I tell of Christ's faithfulness, I tell 
of the flock's faithfulness. A remnant of sheep were left in this place. And as I have been informed, at least, I wasn't here that day. But Mr. Taylor gets up and sings some songs from the songbook. Alan Cain shares a word from the scripture. There's some prayer in his church. And this body says, let's pick it up, boys. Let's be faithful, for our Savior is faithful. And our Heavenly Father has never given up on this place called First Southern. Look around you, my friend. Look around you. This church is not vacant, and it is not without under-shepherds. The Lord has been favorable. And it's not without teachers. The Lord's been kind to add teachers to our fellowship. It's not without servants who serve the body. Oh, the kindness of God. Amen? It's okay to shout amen to the Lord, right? Amen. God is faithful. He loves this body. He knows this body. And He leads this body. Praise be to Christ Jesus, our Good Shepherd. And may we, five years from now, ten years from now, a generation from now, may we be a faithful group of Christ followers. And it starts in our everyday life. Praise be to Christ, our Good Shepherd. Lord Jesus, lead us and lead us well. Would you pray with me and let's give him thanks for that this morning. Father, we do stop and thank you for your son Christ, who is both lamb and Lord, who is both sheep and shepherd among us. Thank you that you have given life to us. Thank you that you have preserved life in this congregation. Father, I can only imagine what five years from now holds, what this church will be, how you'll be using this place. God, I pray that you will do far more than we ever imagine or dream. We just want to be faithful Christ followers. Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, lead us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. If you don't know Christ this morning, I'm begging you, believe and he will give you life. If you need help with that decision, come and we'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. We'll lead you to understand how to express your faith in Christ. If you know Christ and you've confessed him as Savior, but you've never gone public with that faith through baptism, come this morning. We'll walk you down. We're not going to put you in the baptistry right now. It it doesn't have water in it. You're safe, right? We'll begin to walk you down that pathway toward baptism. There's not a better way to go public with your faith to declare what God has done. Finally, if you need to join this church and become a member, become a fellow sheep amongst this crazy flock, we'd love to have you. And we'll begin to walk you toward membership in the life of this church. Whatever you need to do, you respond. There's always a revelation and a response in our service. God has revealed himself as shepherd among us. Let us please respond this morning. We're going to sing. You respond as Christ leads. Let's stand together this morning.